Deborah from the sermon series Unsung Heroines, spoken by Pastor Peter on. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us here today. To everyone online, hi. To everyone in the nursery, thank you for joining us. And to the, online, uh, to the gym sanctuary, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I'm really excited about the sermon, uh, s- sort of, uh, but uh, this sermon, you have to know that this week, uh, God really convicted me on it uh, because it's a sermon that I have to speak to myself in my own heart. Uh, but before I even get started to that, um, I want to read to you a letter that my niece, Caitlin, wrote to you. About a, about a month ago, she gave me an envelope, a white envelope, and uh, it had this letter in there. And then uh, it, the envelope was actually pretty thick. And so in the front of the envelope, it says, uh, please read the letter first before you look at what's in the envelope. And of course, I didn't listen to her instructions. I looked at the envelope, and there's a wad of cash in there. And I just thought, what is a 10-year-old girl giving me a wad of cash? So I thought she was giving it to me, but she wasn't. Here's what she wrote. Dear Metro, since the new year has come, I decided to give our church a gift. Because Metro is the best church ever, I couldn't agree with her more, (laughs) I am giving our church something that has to do with this beyond the building thing. In Korean tradition, to celebrate the new year, we say, which literally means happy new year, to the adults. And they gave, and they give us money. I got $49 this year. But I knew I wasn't going to really use it for anything. So I decided to give my money to Metro Community Church so that we can get a new building quicker. I've been wanting to do this for a long time, and I think that it's time to do it. I really hope that this money will help Metro a lot throughout this new year. Love, Caitlin Nam, Pastor Peter's niece. Let's give it up for Caitlin for that one. I thought about what this young girl did, and um, I realized why Jesus had to teach us adults 2,000 years ago that the kingdom of God, the only way we can enter the kingdom of God is we have the posture of a child. In fact, he was so indignant that the disciples were preventing kids to come to him that he actually yelled at them. Let's just go there. Mark chapter 10, verse 14. Look at how Jesus responds. He says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter. This should be your life verse every day, that we need to be like a little child. And he took the children in his arms, could you just imagine this, placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. He blessed every single one of them. What is it about little kids? What is it about their faith? Because guys, I mean, parents, you know, your kids aren't that holy. Right? I mean, there are sometimes they lie, they do some bad things, you see them do some really mischievous stuff, and you're just like, oh, I don't know, you know, what's going on? They were born sinful kids. But what is it about these kids that Jesus sees in them that he teaches us as adults that if we can't be like this, we're not going to enter the kingdom of God? You know what it is? It's their faith, it's untamed, it's reckless. I even say, and the staff told me not to use this word, but I, I, I had to change the title of the sermon. But it's barbaric. What Caitlin did was so reckless, in my opinion, because she knows how much $49 is. Do you know how many Skittles she could have brought with that money? <laughs> That's her favorite candy. She always asked me, can you buy me a pack of Skittles? She could have went to Costco's and bought three, four boxes of those things. She could have bought those pillow pets. She loves sleeping with these little pillow pets. She could have ordered a whole bunch of them on Amazon. Right? She could have bought Lego sets. 
She could probably only buy one because they're so expensive nowadays, right? They're like 50 bucks for one Lego set, but she loves Legos. She couldn't use it for herself. Mind you, there were a lot of her cousins that got that money. She's the only one. There's something about her that she wanted to give it all. She didn't think about how it could benefit her. Like maybe she needs to give half of it. 50% is a lot, right? I'll just give 50%. I'll keep the other 50 for myself. No, no, no. She didn't think about that. What she did was actually quite untamed, audacious. She said, I'm going to give it all to God. And Jesus says that if we don't have the posture of a little child, we will never enter into the kingdom of God. Where is your faith today? Is it like a little child? Or is your faith like an adult? The problem with adult faith is simply this. We just live in comfort all the time. We don't want to be stretched. We domesticate it. We always think of the collateral damage if we do act out on that. We think maybe uh, comfortable faith is really self-serving. We only think about ourselves. What benefit does it have for us? Caitlin didn't do that. She said, I'm going to give it all to God. And God really challenged me on this, because if I'm just going to confess to you today, I really struggle with comfortable faith. I love comfort. I love stretching myself to a certain point, but I don't like going too much. And God really challenged me this week through this young little girl, but through the passage that we're going to look at today. It was really, really hard for me this week just to kind of look through this and really kind of go to God and promise and say, God, I don't ever want to get to a place where I become comfortable in my faith in you. I want it to always be untamed. Our faith was never meant to be comfortable. And here's the problem when we start to set into this comfortable mode of faith is simply this, we lose the capacity to dream that our God is the God of the impossible. That's the problem. When we set into this place of comfortable faith, no longer does God become the God of the impossible. He just becomes the God of the once in a while possible. He doesn't really become God in our lives. And that's simply the danger. We lose our capacity to do it. I think for every single one of us, God has wired us in such a way because we are created in his image that he's wired us in such a way where we need to be untamed. That we need to believe that with God that there's nothing that we cannot do. That if God were to give you and me an assignment, that we would go and we would do it. And for so many of us, we've embraced this Western form of Christianity, which is all about individualism. It's all about comfort and being comfortable and just kind of embracing God so they can just kind of bless our own little worlds and just bless us perhaps maybe in our career and our lives in that way. But we never dare to dream, perhaps maybe God would like to use you to do something that's just impossible. And we lose our capacity to even have a heart that beats for God anymore. And we don't even know what's going on. And you wake up every morning and wondering, what, what is this life? Is there more to life than just what I'm living right now? And we wonder, like, there's got to be more to life than just this. For so many of us, we've been so perplexed by life. We just don't know because we're going through life every single day because we live in comfort and we don't want to stretch ourselves. Have you ever gone to the moment in your faith where you literally felt this rush coming down in the middle of your spine, where you felt literally the hairs on the back of your neck stand up because you knew that you expected God to do something that was so crazy, so nerve-wracking, but yet at the same time quite exhilarating? That you couldn't sleep at nights because you knew that what God was calling you to do was so much bigger than yourself. It was so much bigger than you, and yet there was a sense of excitement. I still remember 2000, I went to California to study, 
in seminary, and in my second semester, God gave me the vision for this church. I couldn't sleep at nights. I just started seminary. I couldn't wait to graduate. It was so exhilarating. I, I was like, this is crazy. And, and I was so excited about it. But then six months, six months before I graduated, I couldn't sleep. Not because it was exhilarating, because I was absolutely terrified. This was so much bigger than me. It was. I had no pastoral experience. I didn't have one year of pastoral experience. I worked in the marketplace like many of you. And I just went into seminary and I thought, who do I think I am doing this? I was like, God, are you crazy? Why would you call me to do this? And I looked back this week and I just said, God, have I fallen from you? Do I still have that kind of faith today? If I'm going to be honest, it's no. This young pastor once said to me, he said, Peter, would you ever plant another church again? And I looked him straight in the eye. It didn't even take me a second to think. I said, hell no. I would never do it. Never, ever, ever do it again. Why? Why? Because it was hard. I don't want to go through this again. Almost every day it caused me to live outside of my comfort. I didn't know if I could even provide for my family in the first year. I had no idea. All I had was faith, and I hate being in a dark room. I don't know where I'm going. And all I see is the hand of Jesus, and he's saying, will you just trust me and hold my hand? Like, that sounds kind of nice, but when you're in that dark room, you don't want to do that because you don't know where he's going to take you. And you want to control the outcome, but Jesus says, you can't control the outcome. You just got to trust in me. And I just had his hand. I said, all right, I'll grab it. Take me wherever you want me to go. I'll follow you. That's it. Man, there's something so amazing about that. And I've lost it. And so God really convicted me this week through the sermon. And he said, will you have faith like Deborah? We're in the series called Unsung Heroines. And she was probably one of the greatest faith steppers to ever walk this earth. Some of you don't even know who this person is. And I hope today that as we look at this faithful woman and how she was able to take a step of faith, how she was able to do something that no woman during this time and no woman after had this kind of power and authority in all of Israel that we can look at this woman's life and you and I could learn to live this faith in God with a sense of it being untamed, embracing the barbarian way where it is audacious and it's no longer comfortable anymore for us because that would be the worst place where we can kind of land as a Christian today. What do we learn from this woman, Deborah? What do we learn from her that will help you and I to embrace an untamed faith kind of a lifestyle. Please turn with me to Judges chapter four. We're gonna look at really two chapters today. There's two chapters written on Deborah. It's Judges four and Judges five. But to set up Deborah, because some of you may not even know who this person is, I wanna just kind of hit a little background and kind of what God had called her to do. And then we're gonna go into the song in chapter five that she writes that's so poetic, but yet so full of deep application points and how we can have this untamed faith. So here it is, uh, uh, verse four. Judges four, verses four through nine. Now Deborah... A prophet, underline that too, the wife of Lapidoth, and again, you don't ever hear of her husband after this. She is the front and center person in the story. She is the bomb in the story, okay? Not her husband. Was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She was the supreme court in Israel. Nobody had greater authority than her. Whatever she decided, people listened to. Everyone, men, women, went to her for her guidance and decision. 
She sent for Barak, son of Abinonam, from Kedesh into Naphtali and said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel commands you, go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah, but because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kedesh. This is the word of God. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. God, I, you know every person in this room. And God, I know how much you love them. I pray, God, that you would reach into the depth of their soul today and you would shake them. Shake them. Remind them again of who you are and how you are so worthy of their trust. And God, that we all can be like Deborah. Learn from this amazing person through her leadership how we can have a faith that is the barbarian way, that is audacious, that's untamed. And yet, some people would say it's quite reckless. God, would you help us Would you minister to us? But would you teach us through this woman how we could begin to live like this? So it's in your name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. I'm just gonna give you a little background to kind of what happened during this time. Uh, Many of you know the history of Israel from the beginning. Uh, For 400 years, they were under the oppression of Egypt from Pharaoh, and they were slaves. And God raises up Moses to lead them out of Egypt, and you all know that, and they go. They cross the Red Sea, the Red Sea divides, they go into the wilderness for 40 years, they experience manna from heaven falling down, God is feeding them. They're seeing the miraculous signs of God's provision upon their life. Unfortunately, Moses does not get them to the promised land, he dies. So who takes over? It's Joshua. Joshua now is given the authority, the highest level of authority in Israel to lead the people of God to the promised land. So Joshua does, gets them into the promised land. They're experiencing plenty and joy, but then Joshua dies. And after Joshua dies, there's a period of about 325 to 350 years before the monarchy begins, before Israel cries out and says, God, we want a king. We want to be like all the other other people. We have land, we have everything, but we don't have a king. And so God gives them King Saul. Before that period happened and Joshua dies, there's about three centuries of time that's elapsed. And during that time, what happened was that the people that led Israel during that time were judges. They were judges. Gideon is one of them. Samson is one of them. But don't forget, Deborah is one of them. And many times we don't look at this woman, but she is an incredible person that God raises her up. She's not only a judge, the highest governing authority back in, in, that, in this time, but she's also a prophetess, meaning God spoke to her. Because back in, the, back in this, this Old Testament times, people didn't hear from God the way you and I do. We hear from God today. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Amen. We all can hear from God. We don't need a prophet. Sometimes prophets can help us. They can be really supplemental to our faith in God. But we can hear from God because we have the Holy Spirit living in us. In the Old Testament, they didn't do that. 
They couldn't hear from God like that. God spoke to people through the prophet and the prophet then would speak to the people of God and they would listen and they would move forward. That's how it worked. That's how the spiritual economy worked during that time. And so Deborah was not only a judge, but she was a prophetess, meaning she heard from God, she communicated it to the people and then the people of God acted. Well, during this time where Deborah was the judge, the people of God had forgotten about the faithfulness of God. And as a result of what happened was that they began to worship other gods. When you and I get comfortable in our faith, what will typically happen is that we will begin to worship other gods. We call that idolatry. Now, you may not worship God the way we worship here on Sunday, but meaning when we sort of get settled into this comfortable way of faith, there are other things in our lives that become more important than God. That's what it means to worship other gods. And so the people of God were worshiping the God of Baal. And as a result, God was furious. And for 20 years, he allowed uh, King Jabin to overthrow the people of God. And they lived in deep oppression. The pain, the torture was so overwhelming for them. They cried out to God and they said, please help us. And you think God's going to turn a death ear? No. God in his rich compassion and mercy listens. And then he leads Deborah, raises up Deborah to be the judge. And Deborah now leads the people of God to a place of victory so they no longer are under the tyranny of the Canaanites. It's a beautiful story. And in this story, we see this woman who exemplifies such untamed faith. How can we begin to do that in our own lives? Here are the three things that we learned from Deborah. First, we demonstrate untamed faith when we willingly offer ourselves to God. If you want to live in this posture of untamed faith, we have to be willing to offer ourselves to God, that we take the first step, say, God, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, I'll do it, whatever it is. When was the last time we willingly offered ourselves to God in that way? So in chapter five of Judges, what we find is that Deborah breaks, up into, breaks out into a song she's celebrating, and there's some powerful truths here about, uh, about how we willingly offer ourselves to God. Look what she says in verse two. She said, when the princes in Israel take the lead, she, that just, that's not the monarchy. Again, it didn't start, the monarchy did not start. She's just talking about the men of Israel. When the people willingly offer themselves to God, she says, praise the Lord. In verse seven, she says, villagers in Israel would not fight they held back until I, Deborah, arose. This is so true. Until I arose, a mother in Israel. It took a woman to rise up and say, let's do this, because all the men were too terrified. Why were they so afraid? Because Canaan, Jabin's king, Sisera, the general, had 900 chariots in his arsenal. That was a technology that the Jewish people did not have. Now, basically, to sort of share with you how intimidating that is, could you imagine going to war with an army where they had tanks and all you had was a sword and a spear? That's basically what it was like. Those 900 chariots were was extremely intimidating. No one in Israel dared to go up against this army because they would be destroyed. But Deborah says, I'm willing to do this. I'm willing, I willingly offer myself to God in this way. When you and I willingly offer ourselves to God, here's what happens in the cosmic level. There's nobody you trust more than God. When you willingly offer yourselves to God, you have placed your faith and trust knowing that there is no other path towards joy, towards true fulfillment than the pathway that God has set for you and for me. That's what it means to willingly offer ourselves to God. And so I ask you, when was the last time that you offered, willingly offered yourself to God and say, take me, I will do it, Lord. Something about the heart of a person when they willingly offer themselves to someone. Last week, uh, I decided my wife didn't tell me to do it, 
but I vacuumed the entire house. <laughs> she left for the day, and I said, you know what? I'm going to just vacuum the entire house. Now, I do have a Roomba, so I'll just preface that. First floor was vacuumed by a robot, all right? <laughs> but I still vacuumed the second and third floor. It took me almost an hour. A lot of hair, right? And, um, and so I vacuumed the entire house, and after I was done, I just decided to text her to let her know my efforts. And I said, uh, honey, just want you to know I vacuumed the entire house, every, house, every bathroom, every, every corner of the room, I vacuumed it. And she sent me so many love emojis. Thank you so much. And, and I think it was, it, it, she got to that place because there was a sense of willingness. I mean, she could have said, hey, would you mind vacuuming the house? But she didn't have to say anything. I was willing to do it because there's a place where I wanted to make her happy. This was, I knew something that I know would really minister deeply to her. Willingly offer. There's something in a person's heart when they willingly offer themselves to God and and to others. My three kids are liars. They're liars. Uh, Six years ago, they came to us and they said, Mom, Dad, we want a dog. They said, we want a dog. And they said, and parents don't ever fall for this trap. They said, Mom, Dad, we promise you that if you let us get a dog, we will walk the dog every day, we will feed the dog, we will give the dog a shower, you do not have to lift a finger for this dog. Would you please let us have a dog? I said, are you willing to put that in writing? They said, absolutely. They wrote up a contract, they dated it, they all signed it, we still have it till this day, and I'm telling you, we got Kobe, we love him, he's a pit bull, he's awesome, but the five years we've had Kobe, and I'm not exaggerating, there has not been one instance where they voluntarily, willingly offered to walk him. Never, never. We have to say, hey, will you walk Kobe for us? And they always pound, like, oh, okay, let's go, Kobe. I mean, never willingly offer themselves to do it. If by chance one day they come downstairs and they say, Dad, I am going to walk Kobe. I mean, do you know how rare that is? I'm going to believe that day is the day where Jesus Christ is going to come back. (laughs) Because that will never happen. I believe till this day there will never be a day where they will willingly offer themselves to walk this dog. I am his full-time walker my wife and I, there's something there. When you and I willingly offer ourselves to the Lord, it shows that we trust in him for the pathway in which he has created for us. And here's the thing about American Christianity. We have settled into this place where we just want to be comfortable in our faith. And it's a cancer that will destroy your faith. In fact, it's not real faith at all. It's a dangerous place to be. So Deborah rises up to be the judge. Could you just imagine sort of the talk she might have had with God? Like, are you serious? You want me to be the judge, God? Like, no, I can't. I can't do that. There's no woman who has this kind of authority. Who am I, God, to do something like that? I'm sure Deborah thought about that. And a lot of us, if I'm going to be very honest, sometimes we say, oh, I can't really do much for God. I mean, I I just don't have what it takes. I don't have the gifts. I don't have the leadership. If you know what I've done in the past, there's no way I can do this. And you know what? If I'm just going to be very honest, I know the psyche very well because I am one of those people. We say that not necessarily because we don't think we can do it. Primarily, we say it because we don't want to live outside of our comfort. And that's how we come to that conclusion. And so Deborah steps up and she is the judge. She is the prophet. She tells Barak, go, God's going to give you victory 100%. You don't have to worry about it. Go. And you know what Barak says? Barak says this. Look, let's look at verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 8. He says, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I'm not going. 
Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah, but because of the course you're taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. You see, Deborah says, you know, I'll do it then. If you want me to go, I'll go. Barak says, I'll do it only if you come with me. Now, I know you think perhaps maybe Barak is a coward. I don't necessarily think that. Uh, Some scholars say that he might have been. But really, at the end of the day, I think he just wanted some assurance. And he longed and he wanted the spiritual authority and the spiritual maturity of Deborah to be with him in battle. The only issue with that was that that still was a sign that he didn't trust in God. So he didn't get the glory, but he still defeated the army. I don't know necessarily what Barak did was disobedience because it really wasn't. But here's what I love about Barak. He longed for a woman to guide him. And he says, you have something I don't have. And if God's really going to lead this, this army into victory, I need your maturity. I need you. I look to you for direction. I need your help. That's pretty amazing. During a time where women will never look upon for that kind of guidance, where women weren't even allowed to learn of the ways of God. He respected her that much. I hope, I hope. I'm just gonna get a little off tangent if I can. Men, one of the best things you can do for yourself spiritually is to find a mentor that is a woman, to help you to grow in your faith, to stretch you in places where maybe you've never thought you can be stretched. Can I say this to women as well? Women. You need to go find a woman because some of you only seek out men to help you to grow in your faith. And you need to go to other women and learn and grow in that way. It's the beauty of the kingdom of God. This Deborah had this faith that Barak knew that he needed in order to go to battle. And he did. He did go to battle and they won and they won in a huge way. Comfort today has literally become a form of idolatry in our lives. And that's why for many of us, we don't willingly offer ourselves to God because we love comfort. You see, people who are willing to offer themselves to God, you know what they do? They run into the crisis. They don't run away from it. They say, where's the crisis? I'm going. God, wherever you want me, I'm going. Where's the crisis? I'm going to go and I'm going to fight for you. But we love comfort so much. And I worry about people today, about Christians, particularly even the younger Christians today, the younger people, because I just feel like we've really settled into this mode of understanding that we're just going to be comfortable And that is not why God put you on this earth. That's not why you're here. God wants you to get to a place where your your faith is so untamed that you would willingly offer yourself to God because you realize that if you don't have God by your side, if you're not going to live onto the path in which he's made made for you, then it's really not worth living at all. That's the reality. That's the hope. And so may obedience today be something that you take very dear to your heart. I mean, you realize that that's what obedience is about. Obedience isn't just so that you feel good about yourself spiritually. It's about your faith becoming untamed. It's about your faith growing and being stretched in places where maybe you never thought could be stretched. That's what it means. And so may you allow God to stretch you in that way. So I ask you again, are you willingly giving yourselves to God? Now, some of you say, well, how do I do that? Let's think small, please. Don't think too big. Some of you think, okay, well, which country do I have to save? No, 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 no. That's a little bit too much Western thinking there, all right? Uh, The best way in how you can do that is willingly offer yourself to God to a church. Because the church is the place where Jesus Christ died. And Paul says Jesus is the head of what? The church. And so if that's true, Metro Community Church, hear me on this. This church wasn't just meant for you to enjoy and be comfortable and maybe to be blessed once in a while. This church was meant for you to willingly give yourself to the Lord. 
of your time, your energies, your resources in that way, that you would serve God for the advancement of his kingdom here in this church. Can I get an amen to that? Come on, that'll preach. That will preach. We have to get to the place where we willingly give ourselves to the Lord like Deborah did. Deborah was not a trained professional in the art of warfare, but she said, all right, Barack, I'll go. If you want me to fight with you, I'll go and fight with you. And she does. She willingly gives herself to God. And because of that, her faith was so untamed. And I hope and pray that our faith can get to that place as well. Because then we'll know what true life is. All right. Second thing, we demonstrate untamed faith when we celebrate the victories of God in our lives. When we celebrate the victories of God in our lives. Turn with me to Judges chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 10 through 12. Judges chapter 5 verses 10 through 12. You who ride on white donkeys, sitting on your saddle blankets, and you who walk along the road, consider the voice of the singers at the watering places. They recite the victories of the Lord the victories of his villagers in Israel. Then the people of the Lord went down to the city gates. Wake up, wake up, Deborah. Wake up, wake up. Break out in song. Arise, Barak. Take captive your captives, son of Abinonam. It's so important for you and I to celebrate the victories of God in our life. One of the best things you can do to sort of resurrect your faith. You know, faith is a spiritual muscle that needs to be exercised regularly. And if we don't exercise our spiritual faith because it is a spiritual muscle, what happens? We become flabby. Hosang said this on Thursday. David Hosang, he said, so many Christians have flabby faith. I thought that was the best image. Because faith is a spiritual muscle that you and I have to exercise. If we don't exercise that, guess what happens? It becomes flabby. And some of us, our faith has become flabby because we're not exercising it. One of the ways in how you can exercise it is you, you got to celebrate the victories that God has provided in your life. Not just one time, but constantly in your life so that you can be excited and so that you can realize that if God would have called you to do something of epic proportions today that is so much bigger than you, that you all, all you have to do is look back and see the faithfulness of God because you've celebrated and you're reminded of the good things that God has done and that will give you eyes of faith for today and for tomorrow. And all you have to know is that because God took care of you in the past, guess what he's going to do for you today and tomorrow? He's going to take care of you for today and tomorrow. So who knows what's going to happen to you? Who knows what the outcome is? It doesn't really matter because God is faithful. He's faithful. He'll always be faithful. And my hope and prayer is that we would know that, that God is truly faithful. All you have to do is look back. So if we don't celebrate those victories, then how we're going to forget. And that's what happened to the people of God. As they were in the promised land, they forgot to celebrate. And as a result of that, they started to worship other gods. And that's what happens because when you don't exercise your faith, one of the best ways in how we exercise it is celebrating the victories of God in our past. We begin to worship other gods. We begin to surrender ourselves to other things. And that is a form of idolatry. How do you celebrate? You're thinking, well, what do I do? I throw a party for myself? Uh, you can. <laughs> if you, seriously, you can. But here's how you celebrate. Share that good news with somebody. Amen. Some of you think, but Peter, but that's bragging. No, 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 no. That's not bragging. That is not bragging. That is sharing the gospel to people. And people need to hear it. People need to hear the good news. They need to hear how you were down in the miry clay. 
They need to know that you were down and you were struggling and you were dying, but yet God placed a new song in your heart. They need to know that. And you need to start sharing the good news of the victories that God has blessed you with in your life. One of the best things you can do to exercise your faith today is to start to do that. Because if we can't be thankful for the small things, there's no way we can even notice God in the big things. So what little thing today do you need to give thanks to? Who do you need to go and ask and then share that with us? You know how faithful God has been? I I disciple a group of young people in our church here. And uh, we've been together since October. We meet up every week. And one of the key things to this class is for them to share their life with the entire group. And we call these lifelines. And I know a lot of you have done it in other groups and stuff like that. It's really caught on. I did this many years ago. But we have them share the highs and the lows of their life, the greatest moments, but also we make sure that they share the hardest moments of their life. And sometimes people, before they share, you can just see it's like almost torture for them. Because they're sharing things that they've never shared with a living soul in this world. The palms are sweating. They're literally in trepidation. You can see how intimidated they are. But they share. One at a week, sometimes two in a week. And they share their lives. And I just can't tell you how much it encourages my faith when I hear them share their stories. Because it's good news. They're celebrating the faithfulness of God the victories that God has placed upon their lives. This week we had two share, and I am telling you, man, it wrecked me so much to my very core. And it encouraged my faith to move on. And I looked at their lives and I said, man, if you guys could still say, I'm following Jesus and I love him after all the crap you've been through and all the hardships you've been through, and you're gonna continue to walk faithfully and try your best to do that, it encouraged my faith and the faith of everyone that was there. So your story matters. The celebration of the victories in your life that God has provided for you really does matter. And I want to encourage you to start real small. Share those things. Let people be encouraged. Zechariah 4.10, here's what it says. Do not despise these small beginnings. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. My professor, Dr. Ray Anderson, was probably the best, uh, the theologian that's made the greatest impact in my life. I ended up taking five of his classes when I was in seminary, and um, I decided to be, uh, sort of, I didn't have a concentration. I was going to eventually uh, concentrate in pastoral counseling, but I gave that up because I wanted to take every class. A lot of the classes he taught were electives, so I couldn't concentrate, do a concentration, so I gave it up and I took all of his classes. I, I, took, uh, I took a PhD class that he let me into. He invited me to be a part of it, and I just, I ate it up. Um, during a time um, uh, in one of the classes, we had a night class. It was a systematics two class. It was at nighttime, and before uh, the class, he would invite us. He said, if you want to have dinner with me, come to the IHOP. I'll be there at 5 o'clock, and we'll have dinner together. And if you want to ask me any questions, please. I mean, that was an invitation I was not going to say no to. I went almost every week. I sat with him. This was one time I said to him, I said, Ray, you're 77 years old. You're old. And I said, I don't know how you do what you do. You teach a class every semester. You pastor a church full time. You write a new book every single year. I said, how do you do it? And he had this big smile on his face. He said, you ready for this, Peter? Write this down. Don't ever forget this. This is how I do it. He says, every day I wake up in the morning and I pray to God. And I set a goal with God every day. I said, God, would you help me to write three pages of my book today? 
just three pages. Help me to write three pages. He says, I'll start writing after that prayer. He says, sometimes I'm so tempted to go beyond the three pages because I have this wealth of creativity and I just want to keep writing and keep writing. But I stop because I've only prayed that God would help me with three pages. He says, when I accomplish it, you know what I do? He says, I go out and I celebrate. I treat myself to the best coffee in my town. I take my wife, he lives in Huntington Beach, and we take a walk on the beach together. He said, the reason why I've been able to do this for so long is because I've learned to celebrate the small little victories of God in my life. And he looked at me and says, if you ever want to do anything for God, anything significant, you have to learn to celebrate the small victories in your life. So I ask you today, when was the last time you celebrated the small victory that God has placed upon your life? It's the way you exercise and build up the spiritual muscle of faith so that it can become untamed and so that you and your life can truly be a testimony. Listen, if you're so busy, which many of us are because we're here from the West, there's no way you can do this. You can't celebrate. You gotta slow it down so that you can learn to do this. And I wanna encourage you, maybe the first thing you can start doing is saying, you know what, I gotta slow down my life a little bit, put on the brakes so that I can learn to celebrate and let other people celebrate with you. I wanna encourage you, if you have a birthday, a birthday maybe coming up, I want you to celebrate your life. You know, I've been learning to do that and it's been hard because I've never really learned to do that a lot. And you know, if you've ever grown up in a bad home or things like that, you don't really celebrate your life very much because there's not a lot of celebration going on in your home. And I think it's tragic when we don't celebrate the day that God created us, the day that reminds us that he created us in our mother's womb and that we are wonderfully and beautifully made in him. And so if you have a birthday coming up, celebrate it. Invite friends. Don't wait for them to initiate it. Sometimes, you know, we want that to happen. If we don't, we get all angry and disappointed. That's, that's emotional unhealthiness. Just, you throw your own party and just see what happens. And learn, celebrate the faithfulness of God. You are alive. You're well. There's so much to be thankful for. Celebrate the victories because as you do that, you develop these eyes of faith so that as God calls you to do something crazy in the future, gives you an assignment, all you have to do is look back and, be, and realize how faithful he's been in your life. I'm sure Deborah did that because God called her to do some crazy things. And she said yes because she knew how faithful he had been in the past. The third and last thing in order for us to show un- and demonstrate untamed faith is when you and I begin to live for a vision worth dying for. It's when you and I begin to live for a vision worth dying for. Judges chapter five, verse 18. The people of Zebulun risked their very lives so it didn't have tally on the terraced fields. The people of God, God got a vision through the prophet Deborah and they decided to go to war and God led them into victory, but they were willing to lift, risk their lives. Here's the thing at the end of the day, are you willing to live for a vision worth dying for? Because if you really want to live an untamed faith, you have to be willing to do that. You have to be willing to die for a vision that God gives to you. Are you willing to do that? And I hope that you will. And it could be a journey, but I hope that we will get there. You see, Barak was a little scared to do that. And so he needed some comfort and some spiritual guidance to Deborah. And then who does God raise up to do this? To get all the glory? It wasn't a Jewish person. It was a Gentile woman. Her name is Jael. Look at the story, all right, in chapter four, verse 16. Look at the story. 
Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Herosheth, Hagoyim, and all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite, because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Heber, the Kenite. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone in there, say no. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. Just then, Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with the tent peg through his temple, dead. Barak was unwilling to go without Deborah, and so God chooses Jael, a Gentile woman who doesn't even believe in God, taps her on the shoulder, gives her a vision, and understand Jael is not a soldier. She's just a housewife. And what does she do? She risks her life to kill a general of an army, a killing machine. She was willing to fulfill a vision, live it out, and even if she died, she would give her life for it. God does this and gives this vision to a woman who doesn't even believe in him. What that teaches us simply is this. If you don't live out the assignment that God gives to you, God will give it to somebody else. And I don't know what will happen to you if you decide not to live it out. Because in your comfort, I believe you will live the greatest hell ever. Because there's no joy and peace in living a life that's comfortable when you know that there's something you explicitly said no to God in. And so you're willing to live for a vision with God. Some of you are like, well, I don't even want that vision because I don't want to say yes or no to it. Guys, that's even worse. It's a privilege if you've been given something, an assignment by God to go and to, and to risk your life even for. You see, at the end of the day, folks, faith in God it's so much more than just the benefits package that a lot of us signed up for. A lot of us, we were told, you know, hey, when you die, where are you going to go, heaven or hell? Don't you want to go to heaven? Yes, believe in Jesus and you're going to go to heaven. Okay, I'll believe in Jesus. And many of us gave our lives that way. And I'm not saying that's not true. Yes, that's part of it, but that's so ancillary to the heart of the gospel. You know what the heart of the gospel is? You ready for this? You know why God put you on this earth? Why I'm here, why you and I are breathing this amazing air that we're breathing today? Do you know why we're here? We're here to declare to the world that the kingdom of God is here. That's why God puts you on this earth. That's why you're living today. You're not just living to benefit yourself so that your career could be advanced, so that you can just buy a nice house and enjoy the pleasantries of suburban life. That's not why God has called you to be here. God hasn't placed you on this earth so that you can embrace the American dream because the American dream is not God's dream. Can I get an amen to that? It's not. God puts you on this earth primarily to declare to everyone around you that the kingdom of God is here. And when you look at these oppressors in our world even today, that you can stare them straight in the eye and say, no more will you oppress the poor and the oppressed because the kingdom of God is here. That's what God desires for you and for me. That's the assignment that he gives to all of us if we should choose to believe in him. And so could I just encourage you, please, would you be open to living for a vision 
worth dying for because this world is looking for Christians that are willing to have that kind of untamed faith. We're struggling so much because we just want to be comfortable all the time. One of the best stories that reminded me this week was in Acts 21. We just covered this. We did the whole book of Acts. It took us about 18 months to do this. Remember Acts 21 when God gives Paul the vision to go back to Jerusalem? And Agabus, the prophet, because he's a prophet, he sees what's going to happen to Paul. He says, Paul, you can't go back. And then Paul's companions, like, you know, Timothy and Silas, they're like, no, you can't do it. They start crying, don't do this. You're going to die. Agabus said, when you go there, you're not going to be a free man anymore. That's it. They're going to bind you. They're going to beat you down. They might even kill you. And Paul says, I'm going to go. And what does Agabus do? You know what he does? He takes Paul's belt, he ties his hands and ties his feet and lays on the ground like that and says, Paul, you don't get it. This is what's going to happen to you if you go to Jerusalem. Don't go. And this is what Paul says. He looks at him, he says, no, you don't get it. And he says this in Acts 21. He says, I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, Agabus, you don't get it. God gave me a vision and I'm willing to die for it. Historians say today, Paul is the greatest man to ever walk this earth. He has made the greatest impact in this world because through his leadership, there came the church. There is no human being that has a greater influence than Paul the apostle. These are secular historians that will say this when you look at the level of impact he's made. Why? Why? Was it because he was such a great orator? He actually was not. Paul wasn't a very good preacher. Remember when he was preaching? It was like Acts 19, and the dude fell asleep and fell out the window and died? <laughs> it's one thing if you fall asleep preaching, but if you died when I preached to you, man, I may want to just quit. Be like, I'm done. No, Paul was not. No. And uh, scholars say Paul was actually not a very good looking man. He was not very easy on the eyes. All right? He was short. He just didn't, he didn't look like the guy that anyone would want to follow. Why did they follow him? Why did the church blow up because of this man's leadership? Because God gave him a vision and he was willing to die for it. And he did. Amen. That's why. That's why. You and I, if we want to have untamed faith, we have to get to the place where we say, God, I am willing to live for a vision that's worth dying for. And so this week, that was my prayer. I said, whatever, I, I would love to retire here. I really would. This would be awesome for me. But I said, God, whatever you want to do, I can't say no to you anymore. Whatever it is, whatever you may want, take me. I will live out the vision that you're calling me to. February is celebration of Black History Month, like a tree said. And if you're a minority in this room and you're not black, I think you're an incredible person. You have achieved a lot because you study hard, you've worked hard, you've gotten to the place where you've gotten to, and you deserve a lot of credit for that. You really do. But I want you to know something real clear here today. None of you would be able to experience the success that you've experienced if it wasn't for the sacrifices of our black brothers and sisters who gave their blood, sweat, and tears and their life to stand against racial inequality, look the oppressors in the eye, and literally say the kingdom of God is here. And they gave their lives for it. So we owe a lot to our black brothers and sisters for what they have done so that we can enjoy and work hard and enjoy the successes that many of us are living in today. The greatest leader of that movement of the civil rights is who? Martin Luther King Jr., hands down. 
He's the greatest leader. It's interesting, Martin Luther King, he was recorded saying this one time. If we have that quote, can we put this up? So apropos to the sermon. He says, if a man has not discovered something that he will die for, he isn't fit to live. If a man has not discovered something that he will die for, he isn't fit to live. Many historians said that, you know, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. had millions of followers. People followed him. I mean, you read the letters from Birmingham jail and people say that it's probably because he was an amazing orator and he was, he's probably one of the best in the past 20th century. Nobody better than him. The man could, when he opens his mouth, everyone listens because it had such weight. The weight of his words were so heavy. But folks, could you imagine what he must have felt like in the Million Man March on Washington, D.C. when he was standing in Monument Park and a million people got together and they were looking to him for guidance. And they said, we will stand with you. And it wasn't just black people. It was other ethnic minorities. It was white people that came together and they said, we will follow you. Why? Why? Why would they follow him? Why? Was it because he was just a great orator? No. It was because Martin Luther King received a vision from God and he was willing to live for that vision even if it meant giving his life. And he did. He gave his life. Metro Community Church, um, I'm not asking you to die. That's not what it is. It's really not. And I don't think God would ask you of that. He may for some. But he's simply asking you, will you dedicate your life to letting people know that the kingdom of God is here today? Will you give your life to that so that the oppressed could have hope? You see, that's not going to happen just through the proclamation of your words. It's going to happen through the demonstration of God's power. That people need to be healed. People need to be delivered. You know, um, there was a past awakening and, and many people contribute to uh, the last awakening, the Christian awakening here in our world because people want to go to heaven when they die. But today, the next great awakening is not going to happen by that means. You know how it's going to happen? You know when the next great awakening is going to happen? is when people like you and me go out into our world in which God's called us to live and we let people know that Jesus Christ can heal your wounded, broken heart that he is that powerful. When we begin to declare that kind of kingdom, people are gonna come to know Jesus in a very, very powerful way. And so will you give yourselves to that? Will you give yourselves to that? Because Martin Luther King says, if a man has not discovered something that he will die for, he isn't fit to live. Pastor Mike Yee is one of our pastors here in this church. Uh, I met Mike many years ago, even before he started working in this church. Yeah, there's his family. He calls it the, was it, the Yi Tang clan on Facebook. And um, I first met him at a wedding that I officiated. And he introduced himself. He was the DJ. He goes, hey, Pastor Peter, I just want you to know I'm a pastor. And I'm like, why are you DJing then? <laughs> He's like, oh, I do this on the side. Helps me make some extra money. I was like, oh, okay. And he just kind of introduced me. I thought he was so cool. He started mixing the music. And I was like, wow, well, that's got to be pretty cool. He loves music. And, everything. and then I got a chance to know, get to know him a little bit. He was very proactive about wanting to get together with me. And then for about a year, I got together with a group of Korean pastors, young Korean pastors in this area. I just had a heart for them. And I got together with them for about a year for discipleship. And uh, we kept connecting and things. And during that time, he told me that he and his wife had bought a house here in Englewood. And he said that, he said, Peter, when we walked into the house, we knew this was the house that God has called us to buy. We just knew we were at home. And he says, we love Englewood. We love being in a place of such diversity. All of, majority of his neighbors were black and Hispanic. He lives in the third ward, not too far. He can actually walk to church every day, if, to, to every Sunday here, if he wanted to. And he said this to me. He said, um, you know, I, we're committed to the city. God, we really felt that God wanted us to be here. Like this home that we're living in, we just, it's our home. 
and we want to get to know our neighbors. And he said this, he says, we want our kids to go through the school system here in Englewood. Now, Marcus was barely crawling. And I think, well, it's easy for him to say that now. We'll see what happens when he gets of age. Mike grew up, uh, I don't know if you know this about Mike, but he comes from like family of royalty. His grandfather is the founder of Kia Motors. I don't know if you know that. He comes from a lot of wealth. Um, his father, while he was growing up, uh, sent him to the best high schools schools in America had to offer. He attended school with some people that are millennial CEOs. I'm not going to mention their names. If I did, you would know who they are. That's the kind of education he received. That's, that's the kind of pedigree he kind of grew up in where education was very important. Many of you can identify with that because education is very important for you and your children. You want them to get the best education. Many of you moved to towns based upon the school system. And what he said was so upside down to me. Last year, he had to register Marcus to kindergarten. And I still remember, it was on a Saturday, he texts me and he says, I really need you to pray for me, man. This is hard. I feel like I'm failing my son. And so I said, I would pray for you, for sure. And the reason why is because the school system here in Englewood is really a mess right now. 87% of eighth graders graduate and they go to ninth grade failing their math state scores. 67% fail their English state scores. We're sending these kids to high school illiterate and unable to do basic math. That's the climate of the school system. And here's the thing, when God calls you to do something and gives you a vision, it's never easy. It gets hard, and it was hard for him. And this past Tuesday, we got together and uh, we sat at, at our, uh, we broke up into small groups in our staff meeting. And uh, he started just sharing. He started just sharing. We're just sharing kind of what's going on in our lives and a challenge that we need prayer for. And he was just sharing that he and his neighbors had gotten together and uh, they're starting to talk about how they can come together and go to the school, the Board of Education, go to the principal and hold them more accountable. And just start talking, because Marcus is in kindergarten now and everything. Now he's registering Ava into the preschool system and everything like that. And I just looked at him and I just said, Mike, I just want you to know, you're an inspiration. You really are an inspiration to me. That you caught a vision that God gave to you. To be a part of this community in every way, in every way. Even having your kids go through the school system and that you now have a passion with your neighbors to make sure that every child in Englewood gets a good education. What a wonderful vision. I said, you are such an inspiration. And he just looked at me, he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and I know he was really happy when he met Sunita, because Sunita came from the school system. She went to Harvard and Columbia. So I know he felt really excited about that and, and everything. And God is using him using his family to get neighbors together, to start talking about strategizing how they can impact the school system here in Englewood. That's a wonderful vision. And I guess the challenge that we have today is simply this. Are you going to continue to live your life for your titles? Or are you going to live your life for testimonies of how good God is in your life, of how faithful he is, of how he'll give you a vision, and this vision is worth dying for? That's my hope and prayer for you. Can we do that together as a church, including me? Because some of you, honestly, your faith has been broken. You have a wounded faith because you've forgotten to trust in a God like that. And my hope and my prayer today is that you would willingly give yourselves to God today. You would celebrate even the small victories of God in your life 
Share the good news with some people. And you will be willing to live for a vision worth dying for. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. If God's speaking to you right now, I don't have to give you any direction. Go to him. Feel the warmth of his embrace and let him comfort you. But for some of us here in this room, you really need God to minister to you in a deep way today. Because maybe your faith is broken. Maybe you've been living too comfortably, too much. And some of us, you know, we just live in our gift sets so much that it's so easy just to kind of rely on our own gift sets, but you really need to rely upon God. So I would like for you to just to invite the Holy Spirit to come and have a minister unto you. Maybe the best thing you can do today is come up for some prayer or just be where you are and just say, God, I surrender myself to you. Maybe you can remember how faithful he has been in your life. How you stand victorious today because of the faithfulness of God. And if God would ever call you to do something today or tomorrow that is bodacious, audacious in every way, that you would say yes to him and not say no. So just go to him and then I'm going to just close this in prayer. I just want to read to you Esther chapter 4, another heroine in the faith. We're not going to get a chance to cover her. But I want you to hear what this woman had to say. Her uncle Mordecai engaged with her in a conversation. It says, when Esther words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back his answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. God, I pray that you would give us this kind of faith. I pray for those in this room where their faith has lied dormant for so long because they've lived in their comfort. Holy Spirit, shake their souls. Remind them of who they are and what you've created them to be. I pray against the spirit of comfort and God that you would give us such wisdom and discernment to live against that so that we don't. And God, that we would be like Deborah, that we would willingly offer ourselves to God, to you regularly. God, that you would help us to celebrate the victories that you've provided in our lives in the past so that we can develop eyes of faith for tomorrow. Knowing God that if you do call us and give us a new assignment, God, we could do that. We don't have to be afraid. 
because you've been faithful to us in the past. And God, would you give us a vision, not just that that's worth living for, but that's even worth dying for, to declare your kingdom to people all over the world, that your kingdom has come today. And so help us, Lord. Help everyone in this church. Bless them, strengthen them. Untame their faith, Holy Spirit. Untame their faith. In your name I pray. Amen. How did God speak to you? There's a communication card back. You can just flip it over. I'd love for you to, to uh, engage in the next steps here. The first one, I am committing my life to Jesus for the very first time. If you've never done that, just check that off and go out to the, uh, to the uh, uh, next table. And uh, one of our staff members will be there. and They'd love to pray with you and give you a, a free gift. So make sure you go out there. Second, I willingly offer myself to God by serving in this ministry. It's the best way in how you can do that. Serve in this ministry by willingly offering yourself to God in that way. Find a ministry, check that off, and be proactive about it. You can look at the right side of your comp card. There's a lot of different ministries and how you can get involved. And if you're interested in any of them, just check them off and the leaders will get back to you this week. Third, I will seek and ask a woman to mentor me in spirituality and leadership. It's time. And for uh, men, can I encourage you to stretch yourself to do that? Um, I have a mentor. I've asked somebody this year. Her name is um, uh, uh, Dr. Ireland. She's a professor of mine, and she taught me this semester. She's wonderful. I just said, would you get together with me just four times a year? Can I get together and learn how to grow and be more uh, passionate about God? And so we get together every quarter now, and uh, I'm so grateful for her leadership. But it's really important that we surround ourselves with all of God's people and learn. And I hope that uh, many of you men and women would surround yourself with women and learn from their spirituality and their maturity. Uh, fourth, one of the ways that you can give yourself fully to God through this church is sign up for partnership class, March 8th at 3.30 p.m. Um, if you're interested, please, you need to have gone to the Connections Dinner first before you do that, so make sure you do go to Connections Dinner before you come to partnership class, but if you did, you can sign up for this. And the last, I would represent my country or volunteer on Culture Day on March 29th. We need all of you, 30 countries represented around in this church. I hope that all of you will be represented. All of you would take that initiative. Go out to the table, sign up, and uh, volunteer for Culture Day. 